welcome back to another episode of the 1% Life Podcast. I'm your host, Coach JT. This information is for educational and informational purposes only and is solely a self-help tool for your own use. I'm not providing medical, psychological, fitness, or nutrition therapy. You should not use this information to diagnose or treat any health problem or illness without consulting your own medical practitioner. As always, results of any kind will vary based on each person's unique circumstances, capacity, and work ethic. Why are people so scared of eliminating carbs from their diet? Beyond just not wanting to give them up because you like them, I don't want to stop eating carbs because I like the taste of them. Beyond that, why are people so hesitant to do it? It's not because you really understand it. Most people don't even know what macros are, let alone whether I need carbohydrates or not. Do I need simple carbs? Do I need complex carbs? What about if I'm a diabetic? What about for athletic performance? What about for brain function? What about for blood sugar? If people really understood it, they could make an informed decision, which is what I'm trying to do today. And it's not because you oppose the health benefits. I mean, everybody knows that excessive sugar and carbohydrates causes problems now. I mean, even Alzheimer's is being coined type 3 diabetes and dementia because it's linked back to sugar. And everybody knows that it leads to obesity and type 2 diabetes and all kinds of other inflammatory issues. So then what's the real reason? I think first and foremost, it's misinformation and misconception about the role of carbs. Like, do we really need them or not? You got people that say you do. And they're positive that you do. You got the FDA saying 45 to 65% of your total caloric intake needs to be carbs. If you're a diabetic, you have to have them or your blood sugar is going to be low and you're going to be in trouble. You got the government dietary recommendations that are garbage, by the way, telling you to have 70 different types of box cereal and canned fruit and syrup over steak and butter and eggs. And then you got people with certain interest in you continuing to stay sick, fat, and medicated eating carbohydrates, right? Sugar companies, drug companies. Doctors, hospitals, medical equipment manufacturers, pharmacists. All these people benefit if you're sick. They don't make any money off me. They all love to perpetuate the myth. You got to have sugar and carbs. They're necessary for human life. You'll die without them. You'll be laying in a corner drooling with your thumb in your mouth mumbling if you don't consume carbs. So that leads to the fear of the unknown. Right? What about the potential side effects? I've heard all kinds of things will happen if I stop having them. Right From liver problems to blood sugar problems to energy level problems and nutrient deficiencies. My doctor said I had to have them. My friend said I had to have them. The one with zero experience in anything. My other friend said I had to have them. He's a mechanic for a living, by the way. And he's overweight and out of shape and medicated. But he said he has to have carbs and he's positive that that's the truth. No experience with it. Overall, it's ignorance and lack of understanding. That's all it comes down to. Lack of education, lack of personal experience. If everybody really knew what I know, you can make an informed decision about what's best for you. Guys, I've been doing this now for three decades. And I've been doing low-carb keto, if you want to call it that, for eight-plus years consistently, closer to nine years. And I did high-carb, high-calorie for 20 years before that. And I used to believe a lot of the same BS that you had to have them, that, you know, being a nutritional ketosis wasn't healthy and that you had to have it for athletic performance and you had to have it for brain function. And you need to consume a large amount of them if you wanted to be muscular and strong. But you know what the funny thing is? Even way back then, I always used it for fat loss. I always used it for diabetes. I always used it to improve health and cut inflammatory issues down and show prep. If somebody came to me and they were sick, fat, and medicated, the first thing I did was cut their carbs out. Eliminate the sugar. 
We've known it for so long. It's not new information. There's new data that proves it over and over and over again. But most people know deep down that it's not healthy. I mean, if you went to the average person that was overweight and said, hey, I'll give you $500,000 if you lose weight and you can't consult anybody, you can't go online, you can't do anything other than what you've got in your own head right now, the very first thing they do is cut out soda and desserts and sugar and breads and carbohydrates. We know. I've been on both ends of it, guys. Not to mention watching thousands and thousands of clients go through both ends of it for decades. I've been fat and sick. I've been skinny and sick. I've been skinny, fat, and sick. And now I'm 50 years old, just turned 50 a few weeks ago. Muscular, lean, fit, strong, healthy, good cardio capacity, good hormones, good sleep, good energy level, good brain function, no medications, and healthy. And the biggest thing I changed, one of the only things I changed physically, because I train relatively the same. I've added different types of training in, but I still work out six days a week, hour or two a day, was removing sugar and carbohydrates, including fruits and excessive veggies from my diet a decade ago. And during that amount of time, I've been reading and reviewing and studying and trying and learning and experimenting and looking at data and doing interviews. I've added them back in and documented. I've cut them out and documented. And I've watched hundreds of clients over decades do the same exact thing. So I'm giving you my observation. I'm going to go over the most common reasons that people are hesitant to cut carbs out of their diet. Before I do that, I want to go over macros real quick. And the reason I want to do this is because I want you guys to understand what protein, carbs, and fats are just at a basic level. And that's, by the way, if you don't know what macros are, that's what macros are. Macros are a fancy name for protein, carbs, and fats. That's it. A macro is one of the three. Macros are all three. So let's review all three of those real quick. And then everything else that I go over for the rest of the podcast will make a lot more sense to you. First one is protein. Let's talk about that. There are tens of thousands of biological processes that would not be physically possible without the consumption of animal-based protein, period. It's an essential building block to life, to our bodies. We would not physically exist without the consumption of protein. Every cell contains it. There'd be no cell regeneration without it. There'd be no lean muscle mass without it. No bones, no organs. Most of your hormones and enzymes are all protein-based. We can't live without it. We literally would not survive without protein. So then let's look at fats. Same thing. Thousands and thousands of biological processes that would be impossible without the consumption of fats. They're essential, necessary building blocks to our bodies. We physically exist and regenerate because of the consumption of protein and fat. Fats specifically contain essential fatty acids that we can't make. We have to consume them. It also allows us to absorb certain nutrients that we couldn't hold on to otherwise, like A, D, E, and K, fat-soluble vitamins. Cell membrane walls are created from fat. Hair, skin, nails, etc. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We could talk about why we need fats for hours, and I'm talking about saturated and unsaturated. Right? The only healthy or unhealthy fats, rather, are going to be trans fats and seed oils. That's a different, different podcast altogether. Don't consume trans fats, and I'd stay away from seed oils, too. So then what about carbs? So the argument for carbs is that we need carbohydrates because they're broken down into glucose and we use them for fuel or 
that they serve some type of an essential function to our bodies, like fats and proteins do. So first and foremost, it is true that your body will use carbs for fuel, but it's not because it's a preferred fuel source. We don't need to consume that, right? I'm a prime example. I don't consume them, but I have plenty of fuel. What it's doing is it's trying to get rid of all the additional sugar that you consume to avoid all the laundry list of inflammatory issues and complications that come from having too much in our bodies. Here's an example. We need one teaspoon of sugar in our bodies. That's, that's the ideal for red blood cells, a little bit in your brain, and a little bit in your liver. If I sit down and I drink a glass of apple juice, that's 10 to 12 teaspoons. 10 to 12 times the amount that my body wants. So now I've given it an ultimatum. Either let my blood sugar skyrocket and I'll be a type 2 diabetic or spike my insulin and try to ram that in my muscles and my liver where it can hold it all. Put it in storage. Then those become resistant and that's insulin resistance. So now my blood sugar is high and that's dangerous. So what does it do to the extra? It starts storing it as fat. It's got to put it somewhere. It's got to do something with it. Uses it for fuel. But it's not because it wants to. It's not because it's cleaner. It's not because it's ideal. I mean, how do I have any blood sugar if I don't consume carbs? Right? Most people would lead you to believe that you'd be, you know, laying in a corner somewhere unable to speak if you didn't consume sugar and carbohydrates. Why am I not doing that? All carbs convert to glucose. It doesn't matter if it's a complex carb, a sweet potato, brown rice, oatmeal, or candy, or honey. At, at the end of the day, it's all freaking sugar. So carbohydrates serve no cellular level purpose at all to the human body. Period. Fact. Uncontested. If you ask anybody what do you need carbs for, they're going to tell you energy. It's a primary fuel source. You have to have it for energy. Your body prefers ketones, guys. They're much cleaner, a much better form of fuel. I'm going to prove that later, and I'm going to give you some specifics of carbs and sugar versus ketones. And again, your body only wants one teaspoon. Why would it only want one teaspoon of sugar? Homeostasis, ideal. That it could make on its own if we needed to consume sugar and carbohydrates. And then, the fact that it's not essential and we don't have to have it for any other cellular level purpose. And it contributes to a laundry list of other inflammatory issues from obesity and type 2 diabetes to freaking depression and fatigue and Alzheimer's and dementia and tooth decay and heart disease and cancer, premature aging, acne, fatty liver. I mean, the list goes on and on. So fats are necessary to human life. Don't cause problems. Protein essential to human life. Don't cause problems. Carbs completely non-essential to human life and cause a laundry list of problems. We could just about end right there. So here's the summary. Protein and fat necessary, carbs are not. Period. If carbs were necessary, how am I surviving? How do people that are super strict and doing carnivore survive? Right? Those people are only eating meat and salt. A lot of them that I know are eating red meat and salt. No plants, like no pepper, no spices, no coffee, nothing. How do they have blood sugar? How do they work out? How are these people athletes? Because we don't have to have them. So what happens when you stop consuming them? That's what people ask first. Well, if I stop eating, what am I going to do? When you stop eating sugar and carbs, your body starts using fat for fuel. It's that simple. You go into ketosis. Right? Fats you consume and fats that are already hanging out in your body. It's a reason people lose weight faster when they do keto. It's a big reason why people start doing a keto diet in the first place is weight loss. But... They stick around for a different reason. Same reason that I did it. 
go back 10 years. I'm going to cut down. I'm going to get this weight off. I'm going to stop being so big. I was about 270. I want to be about 200, 205 pounds. I want to be ripped. I want to feel good. I want to be athletic. So the first thing that went was carbs. Had no intention of never eating them again. Get a year into it. 18 months into it. 24 months into it. I'm like, I'm never adding them back. Never, never. I freaking feel incredible. I have none of the inflammatory issues I had. My gut health is wonderful. I sleep great. My hormones have improved 200 fold. I have no skin conditions. I haven't been sick at all. No sinus issues. No sleep apnea. My joints feel better. I process food better. I mean, it keeps going. Why in the heck would I add them back? If I'm healthier and look better and feel better, what would be the point in adding them back other than just gluttony, that I just want to taste them? That goes back to the very beginning of the podcast. And keep this in mind too, guys. The medical community has used low-carb for decades. It's the first thing that they go to to lose weight. It's the first thing they tell you for diabetes. It's the first thing they tell you for inflammation. It's the first thing they tell you if you have PCOS, stop eating inflammatory foods, cut the sugar and the carbs out. You go to a fertility doctor, the first thing they do is tell you you'd be better off to be in nutritional ketosis and cut the sugar and the carbs out. In fact, there are a couple doctors locally where I'm at that require you to be in nutritional ketosis or they will not see you. They test your ketones when you show up at the office. And like, if you're not even going to do that, then we don't even need to talk to you. That's the, that's the first thing you need to do. Thyroid issues, arthritis, ADHD, Alzheimer's, dementia. It's all from inflammatory foods. Cutting carbs is the freaking standard go-to for improved health, fat loss, and all kinds of issues. Why? Because it works. It makes you wonder why the CDC and the FDA still recommends that 200 to 225 grams of carbs a day, 45 to 65 grams per meal. It's crazy. It's excessive by any standard, let alone if you're trying to heal yourself and lose fat. So let's get into the most common reasons that I hear. No particular order. It's just what came to mind. First one is low blood sugar. It's bad for diabetics. What about ketoacidosis? What's the difference between ketosis and ketoacidosis? I'm going to tell you that too. They are not the same thing. They should have a freaking different name. First off, this is great. You don't want high blood sugar. It's one of the worst indicators for disease and, and mortality. You don't want high blood sugar. You don't want high A1C. You don't want high triglycerides. Those are all from sugar. People on diabetic meds have high blood sugar. That's why they got put on meds in the first place. Why do people think that low blood sugar is bad? No blood sugar is bad, but your body's not going to let you do that. Here's an extreme example. When I fast, I do an 80-hour fast. How do I maintain any blood sugar? I'm not consuming anything. Zero. Water only for a little over three days. But if you check my blood sugar, it's normal. In fact, very healthy. If you tapped into my muscles and check my glycogen level when I'm doing my workouts, I still get a pump. I still feel great. Again, how much do we need? One teaspoon. You don't think your body can come up with that? A teaspoon of sugar? Even when I'm not eating. Here's an extreme example. You could take me and you could take a type 2 diabetic the difference between me and that type 2 diabetic that's so bad that they're going to have a digit cut off is an additional one teaspoon of sugar. It doesn't take a whole lot. So then what's the difference between ketones and ketoacidosis? Let me explain ketoacidosis first. 
So ketoacidosis is a separate thing. It's not ketones. It's it, Doctors get scared if you have ketones in your urine because that's what they think of, but it is not the same thing. Ketoacidosis is caused by super high blood sugar, usually like 300 plus, because of carb and sugar consumption, by the way. If you stopped eating sugar and carbs, none of this would be possible anyway. So carbon sugar consumption, 300 plus blood sugar, plus insulin resistance, so inability to effectively use insulin to dispose of that sugar so your blood sugar stays super high and combine that with a very low pH. So it goes like this. Somebody eats tons of sugar and carbs, gets their blood sugar up super high. It's like 300 or whatever. Their body's not able to deliver the sugar to the cells and put it in there so that your body can recognize it. It just hangs out in your bloodstream. All right. And that's due to, to, to the you know insulin response due to lack of insulin in the blood, type 1 diabetic. Really, the only people I can think of that would be able to pull this off, although I've never met anybody personally that's done it, I know it's possible. So then your body starts to rapidly produce ketones. It says, okay, well, our blood sugar is super high, but we don't have any ourselves. We don't have any fuel, so we need to start making ketones. It's the natural system. It would be good any other time, except your pH is off, your insulin is off, and your blood sugar is ridiculously high. So now you end up having crazy high blood sugar and crazy high ketones. That is is ketoacidosis, but that can only happen if one, you're eating tons of sugar and carbs. Again, it goes back to consuming freaking sugar and carbs. It's not by cutting sugar and carbs out. This process wouldn't work. You couldn't get into ketoacidosis any other way. And you're a type one diabetic and have no insulin. And you're unable to dispose of all the sugar because of that. And you have a very low pH. So what is ketosis? It's your body using fat on going for fuel instead of sugar and carbs. That's it. My body uses my own fats and the fats I consume for fuel instead of sugar and carbohydrates. Ketoacidosis can't happen if you're not consuming sugar and carbs. I know a lot of people as type 1 diabetics that are in nutritional ketosis and very healthy. I know people that do it through pregnancy. I know people that do it to lose weight and to maintain and just day to day. The only danger a type 1 diabetic runs doing it is that they could have lower blood sugar because they are monitoring and dosing their own insulin instead of their body doing it. So if they dose their insulin wrong and tank their blood sugar because they don't have any carbs in their system, it could be a problem. But if they learn to regulate that right, not only do they bolus a lot less, they're a lot healthier and the inflammation goes away. I know a ton of type 1 diabetics that do this. So that's the difference between ketosis and ketoacidosis. Low blood sugar, Bad for diabetics, ketoacidosis, debunked. So number two, low blood pressure. This one came to mind next because it was another low thing. And I do see this happen, that somebody's on a blood pressure medication and they start eating clean and healthy and their blood sugar or their uh, blood pressure comes down and regulates and all of a sudden they're lightheaded and they feel like crap. And the very first thing they think is, it's my diet. It's because I cut sugar and carbs out. I got to start eating that again. I don't feel good. no. It's because you're now taking a medication that you don't freaking need. Be, what if I took it? What if I started taking a blood pressure medication today? I'd be dizzy. I'd be lightheaded. I'd pass out. I'd feel like crap. Right? It's because I don't need it. Why is that bad? Why is low blood pressure bad? Super low blood pressure is dangerous. That's not healthy. But a low average good blood pressure is like a low average good blood sugar. It's good. People on blood pressure meds have high blood pressure. Not good. Right? I recently had somebody that fit into this category. She started eating clean. I told her, hey, your blood pressure is going to come down. It's going to regulate. 
be careful, work with your doctor, tell them what you're doing, and get ready to alter your medication. Two weeks later, she passed out. She passed out because she's taking a medication that tanked her blood pressure when it was already normal from eating correct. So what did she do? She called her doctor, she told her doctor, and her doctor thankfully said, stop taking the meds. Perfect. Not go back to eating carbs and raise your blood pressure up so the medication's not bad for you anymore. So number three is social isolation. Why is this bad? Why do people feel like you got to fit in? Good. I'm glad you're isolated. Do you really want to be fat and medicated and sick and depressed like, quote, normal people are? Do you really want to be complaining about your job and complaining about life and not going to the gym and feeling like crap and not being able to work out and not being able to do things with your kids? Why would you want to be that way? Stop worrying about freaking fitting in or being like all the other sick and fat people. Stand out. You want to be the 1%, not the 99%. That's the whole point of this. That's how the name of the podcast came to be this. That's what you want to be. Make the change. Don't worry about fitting in. Think about this. You could drink alcohol, eat donuts, show up to work with a Snickers in your hand, be medicated with three bottles of medication sitting on your desk for high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes and gout. No one would say a freaking word. It's normal. Yeah, my family's on those meds. My friend takes that. It's not that big a deal. You fit in. The second you start cutting all that stuff out, the second you're not drinking, the second you show up with a protein bar in your hand, the second you start dropping weight, the second you start going to the gym, they all have something to say. Oh, that's unhealthy. (laughs) You shouldn't cut your carbs out. It's horrible. That's bad. That's a bad idea. Now everybody's an expert. That's where you want to be. Not where people aren't saying anything to you. Going with the crowd, walking down the same street, doing the same thing, acting the same way, being medicated the same way, getting fat the same way, staying sick the same way. Go the other way. Next one I hear all the time is my cholesterol is going to go up. I'm not going to stay on this one a lot. I'm going to give you some data and then I'm going to move on. This is a whole separate podcast. This is a thorn in my side. This is an issue that has been... (sighs) chewed on and chewed on and chewed on from both sides for decades, but the data is in. It's crystal clear. There's no debating it anymore. I'm going to give you some some facts, and then you guys can go and uh, run with it. And what I'll do in the, the description of this podcast, I'll put a link to a couple of books that you can further your education on this subject. So first off, dietary cholesterol has very little impact on your blood cholesterol at all. Little to none. Your liver makes 85% of your cholesterol. Think about that. If my body makes 85% of the total cholesterol I need, why on earth would that be killing me? Every cell in your body metabolizes it. It's needed for the structure of cell membrane walls. It makes hormones like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, adrenal hormones. Helps your metabolism work effectively. It's essential for your body to produce specifically like vitamin D thousands of biological functions, it's low cholesterol that the problem is. If you have low cholesterol at 166 or less, it actually increases your heart disease risk by like 450%. And statins are what's killing everybody. Reduces your body's ability to produce cholesterol and it removes all of that good cholesterol we talked about a second ago that is responsible for all those things in your body. It removes that takes out what's already been produced from your bloodstream in addition to that. It's not the enemy. Sugar is. Heart disease is caused by freaking inflammation. 
It's not because of consumption of meat and fat, period. It's just not. Sugar and carbs, trans fats, obesity, fructose turning into fat, stress, crappy freaking nutrition, smoking. I mean, heart disease comes from being fat, sick, medicated, lazy, and out of shape, not eating steak and butter, period. And then what about the next? I need carbs for energy. This is probably one of the biggest ones. This could have been number one if I'd have put them in order. So the first question I'd ask you is how the, how do I function? How is my energy so freaking high? I'm at 100 miles an hour from wake up to bed. I don't even feel like I get sleepy before I go to sleep. I just lay down and go to sleep and get up and go again. My energy has never been better. Never. My cardio capacity has never been better. I've never stayed leaner all year. How do I have good energy? How do I run? How do I lift? How do I stay lean? How do I stay muscular? I need less than one teaspoon of sugar in my brain, blood, and liver. My body makes it on its own. I don't need to eat it. That's how. Ketones are cleaner. They're safer. They're healthier. They're a more sustainable form of fuel, period. Ask any expert what your body uses carbs for. We talked about it earlier. They'll tell you energy. It's the only answer. If that was true, my energy would be horrible. I'd have none. I wouldn't be able to function. I certainly wouldn't be able to run 10 miles, lift heavy, do all the things that I do on a day-to-day basis. My brain wouldn't be functioning. I wouldn't be sitting here talking a million miles an hour doing a freaking podcast if my energy sucked. It's never been better, never been more stable, never been more consistent as it is now off of sugar and carbohydrates. It's the single biggest testimony that I get from people that start eating this way is my energy's off the charts. I didn't even know that I felt so crappy until I can compare it to how good I feel now. So let's look at the difference in just terms of math for energy. So you have sugar. One gram of glucose is four kilocalories of usable fuel. And you can store about 2,000 calories of sugar in your body. 400 grams or 1,600 calories in your muscles and 100 grams or 400 calories in your liver. So 500 grams of carbs, max storage, 2,000 calories. Once you get rid of those 2,000 calories, you hit the wall. You feel hangry. You need to eat sugar. You need to eat carbs. Athletes need to be, you know, sucking down gel packs while they're running. You see that going on all the time. You hear the wall thing all the time. I hit the wall. You know, my blood sugar crashed. It's because your body's relying on sugar, right? And you can only store 2,000 calories of it. So then what about ketones? What about fat for fuel? One gram of fat is nine kilocalories of usable energy. You can store about 40,000 usable calories as fat. They're stored all over your body, not in your liver and your muscles. Sugar can't be stored all over the place because it damages your freaking body. Cell glycation, high blood pressure, A1C, diabetes, inflammation. It has to freaking stick it in your muscles and stick it in your liver. Ketones are all over the place, readily available. So which one do you think is better? What's a a better, more sustainable form of fuel? And I'm going to get into some of the pros and cons of sugar versus ketones at the bottom of this podcast. And I'll, I'll give you some specifics on that. So why do people feel weak and fatigued when they cut the carbs out? Because that does happen off the bat. Overall, this is totally the opposite of what long-term result is, but here's the reason why you've got brain fog and low energy and a combination of that. First off, you're not eating right and you tried to transition wrong. So when I stop eating sugar and carbohydrates, 2,000 calories goes away pretty freaking quick. Like let's say I fast for 24 hours, it's all gone. 
and my body has not started to make ketones yet. So then what do I have? Nothing. If you transition poorly and you don't make the transition from sugar and carbs to ketosis, you go through that period of time that people like to call the keto flu. So the four pillars are the first thing you need to pay attention to. Number one, how many calories you're having for the day. Number two, what kind of foods you're having for the day. Number three, of those calories, what's the macro breakdown? How much protein and fat and carbs come from those calories? And then how do you eat it? You eat it all in one meal, two meals, five meals, six meals. Once you get that figured out, you need to transition correctly. Taking BHB and taking electrolytes during the transition will eliminate that. Giving your body ketones until you start making enough. And then ongoing, if you have an issue, you're not having enough fats or you're having too much protein, you're not tracking your macros, and you're just kind of living in limbo, not having enough calories overall. That's the biggest problem. So moving on to the next. The next big thing that I get is that I'm going to lose muscle mass. If I cut my carbs out, I'm not going to be big and strong anymore. I'm not having that problem. In fact, I put on 17 pounds of muscle over 24 months while maintaining about 10 to 12% body fat in nutritional ketosis. It's bunk. Ketone metabolism by your brain displaces glucose in the first place and it spares muscle mass. It's muscle sparing. So is fasting. People ask me all the time, how do you stay so lean and muscular all year without eating any sugar and carbs? Well, because you don't need them. That's the easiest answer. I don't have to have them. Right? I've maintained that muscle mass now for years living in nutritional ketosis. I'm not losing muscle mass. I still get a pump. I'm still vascular. I'm still strong. I'm still improving my strength. I'm still getting better. I run, I lift, I stay lean. I'm literally stronger than I've ever been in my life at a lighter body weight and healthier. And my muscle glycogen, basically what I'm using for you know, lifting and anaerobic activities, is completely equal to somebody that's consuming about 300 grams of carbs a day. Why? Because I don't need that much. Because my body makes what it needs. You don't lose muscle mass. It's muscle sparing. Not only do you maintain it, but you can gain it on that. I know bodybuilders that do it. I know competitive bodybuilders that are in nutritional ketosis. They're not outliers. They're just people that have the guts to stop eating them. If everybody did, everybody would function the same way. We're all biologically the same. It's not this person can do it and this person can't. This person wants to and this person doesn't. So the next thing I got is it's bad for your kidneys. I don't know where this came from, but I have heard it a couple times. There's not a lot of a lot of people are saying this, but I have heard it for a couple of people that have had kidney problems from their doctors in the past. It's the exact opposite though, guys. High protein is the problem. That's where I think it comes from. Is people just assume that a ketogenic diet is high protein. It's not high protein. It's moderate level protein. My percentage is 65-35. So I have 65% of my calories comes from fat and 35 comes from protein. And that's a typical keto diet is between 65 and 75% fat and 25 and 35% protein, right? And there's research, you can go look it up. Mount Sinai did some research that found after eight weeks, functional indicators of kidney damage were reversed on the ketogenic diet. And analysis showed that kidney pathology in the model of type two diabetes was also reversed. It's not bad for your kidneys. What's bad for your kidneys is excessive protein. People think that a ketogenic diet is excessive protein. It's not. It's moderate protein. I'll give you a, a, a for instance that you can understand. So a meal that I typically consume, I'm about 215 pounds. A typical meal that I consume is about four or five ounces of lean protein. Four or five ounces of meat. Less than I know that some women consume. And the rest of it is fat. 
My total caloric intake is over 2,500 calories a day. On average, 25 to 2,800 is, is maintenance for me, depending on what I'm doing. And 65% of that comes from fat. 35 comes from protein. And then there's, there's no carbs. And any carbs that I have are incidental occasionally. Like if I have a couple Brussels sprouts, I just ate six grams of sugar. If I have a little bit of peanut butter, I just had a bunch of sugar. If I have any nuts or seeds, I just had sugar. They're all over the place. But day to day, I don't have it. I'm at zero carbs. Next one is bad for your thyroid. There's a lot of people that say this, but again, it comes to lack of understanding and ignorance. People don't really understand what hurts your thyroid and what doesn't. At the, at the end of the day, I could just tell you it has nothing to do with it and just move on. What has to do with thyroid is lack of B-complex vitamins, lack of your B-sweet, poor methylation, medications that you give yourself, inflammatory foods, but nutritional ketosis and ketones in specifically have nothing to do with it. In fact, fasting is one of the single best things you can do to improve and reset thyroid function. It just helps because it gets rid of inflammation. So nutritional ketosis is not bad for your thyroid. It has very little to do with it, in fact, other than you cutting out garbage that you were eating that hurts your thyroid. When you start a ketogenic diet, you cut that out and that benefits it. But ketones in particular, not doing anything. Next thing I have is brain fog. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, right? If, if you transition correct, you don't have any brain fog. My brain is crystal clear. If I want brain fog, I'll add, I'll add some sugar and carbohydrates. And then I process thoughts differently. I just feel a little lazy-minded. But here's why. If you have brain fog, again, it goes back to what I talked about a minute ago. Poor transition to ketosis and not enough fuel in your body. Ongoing, it's not enough fats, too much protein, not tracking macros, not paying attention to your four pillars, Four pillars, again, being types of foods, total calories, macro breakdown, and meal frequency. And you just live in limbo. So I'm consuming a little bit too much carbs to keep my body from adequately producing ketones. So I'm not using ketones for fuel. And I'm not really having enough carbs. So I just live in limbo. I don't have enough of either one. Now I've got brain fog. Now I feel like crap. But if you do it right, your mental clarity is insane. Your brain's ability to use glucose actually declines with time as we age. Now, that's Alzheimer's and dementia, but it doesn't with ketones. Your, your brain's ability to use ketones over time stays consistent. So then what about the next one? Constipation. Guys, constipation is from fiber and carbs. That's what constipates you. That's what gives you GI issues. That's what gives you inflammation. That's what gives you IBS. It's what gives you diverticulitis. It's not meat and fat. Anybody that eats meat and an adequate amount of fat is never constipated. Fat actually increases the strength of intestinal contractions, helps you go to the bathroom. And then if you look at what your poop is, it's bile, billions of bacteria, and freaking undigested fiber. That's what moves through you. That's what clogs you up. That's what dries out your bowels. That's what causes microabrasions in your gut. Very little cholesterol, a little bit of water, but it's not protein and fat. That doesn't leave you. When you eat that, that stays in you. Why? Because your body needs it, because it wants it, because it uses it. Why does it pass the fiber out? Because it's unnecessary. It just moves through you. It's the reason that people started eating it years ago. It just filled you up. It's like eating sawdust. In general, it's pointless. And there's no vitamins and minerals that you get from plants that you don't get from meat including freaking vitamin C that you can get from liver. I've been monitoring hundreds of people, guys. 
on low carb diets for years since I started doing it. And even before that, when I would do it for health reasons for people, like I said, and I hear about constipation a hundred times freaking less when somebody's doing a ketogenic diet than I do otherwise. In fact, most of the time when I hear somebody talk about constipation, it's a woman and she's eating carbs and sugar and lots of fiber. 99.9% of the time. And I know some women that come to me and they talk about gut issues and they're going to the bathroom like once or twice a week. A lot of women have the issue. They don't go very much. They don't go very frequent. They feel constipated. Their, their gut is bloated. That goes away when you eliminate the sugar and the carbohydrates. The real cause is dehydration, too many freaking veggies, low magnesium, low electrolytes, and not enough fats. That's the real reason. If you, if you fix those, you stay regular. But it's not because you need more fiber. That's not the, that's, that's not the fix. And the next thing I have is it's too restrictive. It's not sustainable. I can't do it. Guys, it's super easy. The only thing you're doing is you're cutting out sugar and carbs. You can eat anything else. You don't have to have them. Nobody does Genesis or alchemy that would ever say that they feel restricted. There's dozens of protein choices. There's dozens of fat choices. There's all kinds of veggie choices, whether you choose to have them or not. Eat anything except carbs and sugar. The problem is, is that we've been eating carbs and sugar for so many years. And anybody that's my age or around my age has always been told, you know, watch the fats and eat your fruits and veggies and your grains. Don't eat fatty meats. They'll kill you. Eat your fruits and your veggies. And trying to get that out of our heads and, and kind of reset, you know, our perception about what good nutrition is, is hard for some people. I get it. So then let's talk about ketones versus carbs and sugar. Do a little recap here and I'll kind of wrap this up. I know this has been long. So let's talk about sugar first. The benefits of sugar. Here's the benefits of sugar. They taste good and they're fun. Name me another one. Right? Unless we're going to talk about a pro bodybuilder taking insulin, trying to stay full and muscular and, you know, using carbs as a tool to achieve said physical result. But if we're talking about lean and healthy and fit and medication-free and strong and all the things that I care about, they taste good and they're fun. They serve no day-to-day biological purpose like we talked about earlier. And the drawbacks, well, we could spend the next two hours talking about that. Inflammation, disease, obesity, diabetes, arthritis, Alzheimer's, fatigue, crappy recovery, cell glycation. I mean, it goes on and on. So then let's do the same thing with ketones. And then what I'll do is I'll do a little comparison real quick between uh, BHB or ketones and glucose. Which one's a better fuel? So the benefits of ketones. First off, the elimination of everything that I just named on the ladder. All the inflammatory issues. The disease, the obesity, the arthritis, the diabetes, the slow recovery, the fatigue, the Alzheimer's and dementia, the cell glycation, and the arthritis and all the issues that compound from inflammation. All gone. You're lean, you're strong, you're fit, you're freaking healthy, you live longer, you look and perform better. So which one's an actual better fuel? Tit for tat. If we looked at the breakdown of which one is a more efficient fuel, BHB, aka ketones, or glucose. Now, just to tell you what BHB, BHB is beta-hydroxybutyrate. It's the primary ketone in your body. It's what makes up the majority of ketones in your body. There are two others, but let's call them a byproduct or a waste product. You have uh, acetoacetate, which actually starts the process and makes all the BHB. When you measure a P-strip, you're measuring the waste product of that acetoacetate. If you do a breath 
little breath test, a little blow test, um, you're measuring acetone. Both of those are very small amounts. What we're talking about is BHB. That is a ketone. When I say BHB or you hear somebody say BHB or exogenous ketones, that is a ketone is beta-hydroxybutyrate. So BHB produces 21.5 molecules of ATP. Glucose makes about 30 to 34. So at the onset, it looks like it would be a more efficient fuel. But here's what the release is. BHB actually has a release of 279 kilocalories of total energy. So 279 kilocalories of energy versus 245 from sugar. So it takes less molecules to produce more energy. It's just more efficient. It promotes healthy genes. It reduces inflammation. It fights oxidative stress, enhances cognitive function, fights and prevents cancer, and the elimination of sugar, which is what feeds cancer cells, contributes to that, boosts insulin sensitivity, it's optimal for heart fuel, accelerates fat loss, boosts workout performance, prevents bone deterioration, all the opposite of glucose. It's not a preferred fuel. So then let's talk about how to do keto correctly. And then I'm going to point you to Genesis. I'm going to point you to Alchemy. I'm going to tell you to book a call with me. And we can go over some of this in more detail if you got specific questions for yourself or you're interested in one of the programs or you want to know how to do keto right or you want to start cutting your carbs, but you're not sure. There's a question that I didn't answer. We'll go over it. How do you do keto correctly? How do you start it correctly? First and foremost, you have to have the four pillars right. If you don't have the four pillars right, you're always going to struggle. Again, the four pillars, if you guys aren't sick of hearing it yet. Number one, types of foods, right? This is cake versus steak. All calories are not created equal. Number two, total calories. So once you get your foods right, how much of them do you eat? What's your daily caloric intake? How much do you really need? It's different if you're trying to cut weight. It's different if you're trying to gain muscle mass. It's different if you're trying to maintain Right? They're not drastically different, but they are different, and it does matter. Ask anybody that's cutting down. I'll make an adjustment to their caloric intake, 200 calories a day, and they change. It's not drastic. So eating a little too much, stalemate for you. And then the third thing, once you get your foods right and you get your total calories right, number three is your macro breakdown. So of those calories and of those perfect foods, how much should be protein, how much should be fat, and how much should be carbs? And then the last piece of that is, is once you get your foods right and your calories right and your macro percentages right, how the heck do you eat it? You got some people saying do OMAD. Just eat all your calories in one meal for the day. Bad idea, by the way. Or do it in a window of six hours and fast for 18 and eat for six. Bad idea. You cannot get all the calories you need crammed into one freaking meal. Even if you can physically eat it, it's beyond the threshold of what your body can absorb and use in a window of time. You can't do it that way. And especially if you're trying to gain lean muscle mass, the caloric intake is so high that trying to do it in three meals, like if you're eating three or 4,000 calories for the day as a guy trying to gain lean muscle mass, are you going to do like 1,000 calories a meal and think you're going to use that? You're not. What's going to happen is you're going to consume more than you need. Your body's going to convert it to glucose. It's going to store it as fat. It's going to cause inflammation. It's going to kick you out of ketosis. And you're going to be nutrient deficient because you didn't get enough meals and get the protein that you need. So once you get all those down, then I would tell you, you need to keep your carbs at 25 grams or less per day. Make sure you're drinking plenty of water, about 50% of your body weight in ounces. Make sure you're taking electrolytes, especially if you live in an environment like I do. I live in Florida. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you to do, what I told you I was going to tell you to do, 
Go online, book a call. Just go to EvolveWithJT.com, click contact, book a free 15-minute consult. I'll go over everything with you. I'll point you to the Keto Kickstart, or you can just go find the 28-Day Keto Kickstart. It's 97 bucks. It's a real basic, easy way to get started. You're not counting macros. It's just a really fundamental way with ballparks on how to get started. But if you guys have any questions, book a call with me. I appreciate you spending so much time with me. I hope this was helpful. I hope you understand things at a much lower level and all this makes sense to you. And I've given you enough information to make an informed decision about yourself. God bless. And I'll talk to you soon. For more content, be sure to like, subscribe, and follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. See you.